What does it mean to be devoted to something? What does devotion look like? Uh, For some people, being devoted means that you show up early, even the night before the opening of a new Chick-fil-A restaurant, and you camp out in hopes that you will get free Chick-fil-A chicken for a year. Uh, Devotion can be seen by some in uh, purchasing a camper, buying tickets to all the ball games, and not only going to the away football games, but setting up your camper at all the home games as well. I'm sorry, RV. And uh, that's, that's one, one way that devotion could be measured. Another way could be you getting up before the sun comes up, really early in the morning, before light, and going out into the woods to hunt for deer or to go to the duck blind. We see devotion in parents and loved ones who, careless, who tirelessly care for special needs children or family members. We see people that are devoted to their work and they spend hours and hours seeking how to increase profits or expand markets or cut costs. People can be devoted to important things, to life-saving things, to life-changing things, but people can also be devoted to things that uh, aren't necessarily helpful. In fact, we've probably all been at times in our lives devoted to things that, uh, that actually hurt us and could destroy us. Devotion can be silly, it can be funny, it can be ridiculous, it can also be serious And important and devotion that we see here in Acts chapter 2 is something that's actually beautiful. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that there is a devotion to something that could change our allegiances. It can constrain and feed in a beautiful way all the other activities, all the other things, all the other desires, all the other stuff in our lives. There's There's a devotion to one thing that could shape and guide our lives, and it's, it's a devotion to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These early Christians were devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to prayer, they were de- devoted to the fellowship, and in short, they were devoted to the message that Jesus Christ is the way of life. That's the thing that changed their lives, and it's what they heard in that uh, sermon that Peter preached. And And this section in verses 42 through 47 is really the fruit of that gospel message. This is what happens when we're truly accepted by God, we're truly forgiven, we understand the grace of God in Jesus, and now their lives have changed, it changed their allegiances, it changed everything. And that same thing can be true of us today. Knowing and living with the love of God in Jesus Christ can change the things that we are devoted to. So the first thing, let's look at the passage together. Let's look at the facts about the fellowship. And you know, you could you could title this section the fellowship. Fellowship is a is a word that gets thrown around among Christians a lot. And uh, I think it's a word that's often actually misunderstood in Christian circles. Uh, I don't want to rock the boat here, but Fellowship is more than potato salad and fried chicken. Now, it can include those things. They're wonderful. 
uh, but it is more than a potato salad and fried chicken. Christian fellowship means that we rally around a common theme or a common goal. Um, and that we rally around one another. So it's not just what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. It's that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's that we're part of the same family. It's not only that we get God, but we get one another. And that's at the heart of the fellowship. And let's look at some of the facts of the fellowship that these early Christians enjoyed. One of the first things we see uh, in verse 42 is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. After literally receiving the best news of their lives, they came together, and one of the things that they knew instinctively was, we need more of this message that we received from the Apostle Peter. We need more of this good news from God. So they were devoted to the Apostles' teaching. And this is what happens in Christianity. Uh, When you come into Christianity, when you own the truths of Christianity for yourself, you understand what Jesus did. You understand that you're a sinner and He came from heaven and He lived a perfect life and He died a sacrificial death and He rose again in victory, and that we can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and we can be accepted by God through faith. But that's just the beginning, right? We spend the rest of our lives coming to terms with the enormity and the glory of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. The love of God is like a vast ocean. And what we do, we spend the rest of our lives uh, coming to terms with and mining the riches and climbing the heights of who God is and what He's like. And that's what these early Christians showed us. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They couldn't get enough. This is something that is absolutely amazing. And one of my prayers for myself and for us is that God would fan to flame or relight that flame within us that we would be committed to what the scriptures say. What did the apostles teach? What were they teaching? Acts chapter 4 verse 33 gives us a taste of this. The apostles were giving their testimony about the resurrection and there was great grace among them all. Basically, these early Christians had seen the trailer about what Christianity was. And now they wanted to see the feature-length film. They wanted to see the whole story. They wanted to hear the whole message of who God is and what He has done. And we have the apostles' teaching. We have the doctrine laid out for us in the New Testament. Um, And there are a couple implications here. One of the first things is that What we believe matters. It matters for how we think about the Christian life. It matters for how we think about God. It matters about how we communicate and and relate toward other people. And the facts of the Christian life matter. These first century Christians were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So can we. It doesn't mean that we go around 
arrogantly acting like we have all the answers in life, but it can mean that we can say with confidence and humility, this is what I believe that the Bible teaches about this or that. And, and here is why. Second thing I think we can take from seeing that they were committed to the apostles' teaching is, uh, is for us to know that in the Christian life we don't arrive. If you believe that you, you've made it, okay, I've read through the Bible one time or, or I, I, under, I went through this awesome Bible study, so now I'm set, um, that's kind of a dangerous place to be. One of the things about Christianity is that we're always learning, we're always being transformed. As Woody said in the introduction, we're not what we used to be, but we're not what we're going to be either because God is working in us and changing us. Part of Christianity is knowing and loving and hearing and studying the scriptures and the message of God's grace the rest of our lives. We're called to be learners. We're called to grow. So that's one of the first things we see. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Another thing that we see from the passage is uh, seen there in verse 42 as well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They were not only committed to what the apostles had to say, they were committed to one another. And uh, verse 44 describes it beautifully. Uh, Look at that verse with me. It says... All who believed were together, and they had all things in common. I mean, we get a g- glimpses of this in life. When, when 92,000 fans are screaming at the top of their lungs in Tiger Stadium, we get a taste of the power of being together, about being, being about the same thing. And it's not that everybody in this room or everyone in this early uh, group of people had all the same hobbies all the same interests, all the same likes and dislikes. Think about it like this. This is how the gospel of Jesus Christ is a game changer. Because it brings together people who are from all different backgrounds, all different stories, all different lives. It brings them together on this deep Level. These early Christians and Christians throughout the ages believed that on the core of who they are, they were sinners saved by grace. Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Master. When all the other layers are peeled back, that is at the heart of the fellowship. That truth connects us to God and to one another in a deeper way than I think we give it credit for. Um, It means that in Christ we have deeper connections than the people that are part of our civic civic club, uh, the people that are part of our team, the people that are part of our group. Uh, This fellowship is deeper than nationality. It's deeper than race, it's deeper than class, it's deeper than money, it's deeper than power and background and career. The gospel of Jesus Christ can break down all those barriers and unite people around this one thing. We're sinners saved by grace. But there's a problem. 
A lot of times in our lives and in this world, we let those other things be the things that define us more than the fellowship and the camaraderie that we have in Jesus. So through misunderstanding and confusion and apathy and sin, we don't experience, we don't live with and in that true fellowship that is described here. I think another reason sometimes why we don't experience this fellowship more is that uh, at times, and I'm guilty of this, we're not committed to the fellowship. You know, it describes what happened to them. It's descriptive, but I think by implication, uh, there is this unwritten command to us. They were devoted to the fellowship. We should be too. So they broke bread together, they shared meals together. Um, in the life of our church, we have, we have several opportunities to grow together in fellowship. And uh, we have Bible studies, we've got community groups. There are opportunities to share and to develop and, and live with this fellowship that we we have in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't just have to be with this church. It could be with other Christians that you know, people in your neighborhood, people that you work with. And you could simply say to them, I hope you're having a good day. I want you to know that I'm praying for you today. I want to encourage you. I think it includes having awkward conversations, inviting people to be part of your life that aren't normally part of your life. It'll be hard at times. This fellowship is not easy because we're sinners. We hurt each other sometimes and we'll be hurt by one another. But this fellowship of Jesus Christ is a place where repentance and forgiveness can thrive and blossom. They were committed to the fellowship and by God's grace we can be committed to that same fellowship through the joys and the sorrows of life. As we think about the facts of the fellowship, another thing we see is that they were committed to prayer. From the context, it seems to be uh, that this was a normal part of their lives. They were committed to prayer. And not just prayer as an individual. We all know that praying to God is part of the Christian life. But it seems that they were committed to the prayers. They were committed to praying together. And this makes sense, doesn't it? I mean... um, We devote ourselves to the teaching of Jesus Christ. We devote ourselves to the fellowship. Almost organically, what happens next? We find ourselves praying with one another. And it's amazing when you walk through the book of Acts, you see time and time again that prayer was central to God's work in growing the early church. And the same thing is true for us today. Prayer is part of... Of God's plan. And what do we say when we pray? We say words, but what are we communicating? We're communicating to God and to others. I'm not in charge of my life. I'm not in control. I need your help. I can't do this. And when we pray with folks, we can cry out to God, but we can also share the joys of life and the burdens of life with them. So we can cry out to God, but many of us have been in prayer meetings with other people where we wept with one another as we prayed 
to our Heavenly Father. They devoted themselves to these things because even from the outset, they knew that these were some of the things that would feed their lives and their souls. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayers. But what was at the heart of this fellowship? Those are the facts of the fellowship. But what, what was at the heart of what these people experienced, these early Christians? You know, the facts are not all that matters. The passage not only describes what they did and what they were committed to, but it tells us how they did it. And what was going on in their hearts and in their relationships and in their lives. And, you know, Christianity, J.C. Ryle said it 150 years ago, Christianity is an inside-out religion. What is on the inside matters. It's not just about our actions. And the heart mattered. These people were touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just on their outward actions, but on the deepest level of who they were. We see it in verse 43. Awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They were filled with awe. You ever think about how it seems that everything in our culture is awesome? Dude, that's awesome. I've said that before. Um, But the stakes and the expectations for everything are just going higher and higher. It needs to be epic. It needs to be incredible. And what these Christians experienced, the awe that filled them, would have silenced everyone. It was unbelievable. It was amazing what God was doing. In fact, the, the word in the original is fear. And it's not slavish fear, but... It's that fear of God where we're blown away by the greatness and power and mystery and majesty of God and his kingdom and the greatness of the gospel. Think about that. Think about this. Think about the fact that God became a man and that he walked on this earth and he laid down his life for us and he sent his spirit to live inside of us and he's merciful and compassionate toward us even when we fall and even when we sin. That God, the everlasting almighty maker of heaven and earth, wants a relationship with us. It's more than simply a nice thing. It's mind-blowing. You know, you ever received a gift from someone? And some gifts you get and you're like, oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet. Other gifts you receive and you simply say, this must be a mistake. Wait. Wait. You're really giving this to me? Those are the kind of gifts that blow your mind. Those are the kind of gifts that can even move us to tears as we're overwhelmed by the gift. These early Christians were filled with awe 
at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my hope and prayer is that we will experience more and more in a concrete way awe and amazement at what Jesus Christ has done and what God is doing. Not just what he did 2,000 years ago, but what he's doing now in us and among us. The last thing I want us to see is the fruit of the fellowship. There are certain things that happen that that we'd say are the fruit of, of this fellowship. One of the things we see in verse 46 is they were together day by day. They attended the temple. They broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They had glad hearts. Um, they had joy in the Lord. They were happy because they had received the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. They received a new name and a new hope and a new future. And they were also glad that God had given them one another to walk through life with. And this, this gladness of heart, I don't think it's the cheesy kind of fake gladness that's often associated with Christianity. It's the gladness that's rooted in God's promises. That my life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. It also says that they had generous hearts. When someone is touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, generosity grows in our hearts. Uh, Remember what Jesus said. Freely has been given to you. Freely give. This is one of the striking things about this new community, this new fellowship of believers. They were radically generous, not just on the outside, but they were, they were generous from the inside out. They sold their stuff to take care of the needs of one another. Now, I don't think that this passage calls for us to sell all our possessions and to live in a commune together. We'll start that this week. Um, no. Um, but it does give us the opportunity to think about how we see the needs of others and how we think about our own possessions. How do you view your money? How do you view your time? How do you think about people that are in need? How do you think about um, how you could reach out toward and move toward people that are struggling. A selfish heart says, what can I get? What can I keep? What can I control? And a generous heart is shaped by the gospel and it's more along these lines. What can I give? How can I help? How can I serve? You think about generosity. Uh, When I did campus ministry for so many years, I was able to see month by month the generosity of people that allowed me to work on campus. The same is true for Andy as he works now with LSU. Um, We have missionaries that are kind of on a loop outside in the, they're not actually out there, but uh, their pictures of them are on the screen. And there are over a dozen missionaries that our church supports. Um, There are ministries and opportunities that our deacons are looking at now For our church to be a part of. There are opportunities. Here and abroad. For us to be generous. 
And this is one of the things that we see when the gospel took root in their lives. Generosity was just part of God's plan for them. Another fruit we see in verse 47 that they were praising God. You know, praise God. We say it sometimes. But they were truly praising God organically, authentically. It wasn't fake. It was real. It was an overflow of their hearts. This is one of the core values of the Christian life. We were made to worship God. We were created to praise and honor and worship and serve the living and true God. And this is one of the things that we see from this passage. Another thing that I want to highlight of one of the fruits of the fellowship is that they had favor with all the people. You ever thought about that before? You ever read that before? That they had favor. As these early Christians enjoyed God and they enjoyed one another, what happened? Outsiders saw it. People were noticing. God was with them. God is doing something in these people. There's something different about them. God gave them favor. And this is not a formula. There will be times when Christians and the church will be persecuted and opposed. But as we seek to live for Jesus Christ in community, humbly, joyfully, generously, with gladness, being vulnerable, praising God, people will watch. People will notice. Your neighbors, people that visit our church, they'll see, hopefully they'll see, Jesus. Not perfectly in us. We have all sorts of faults and blemishes. But the fellowship that believers have can be this incredible magnetic evangelistic tool so that people can see the goodness of God in Christ. I want to close uh, by highlighting two things. First of all, we were made for community. It's been hardwired into us from the very beginning. What makes this fellowship, what makes this community so special It's simply this, that we are knit together by the blood of Jesus Christ. The members of this community knew that they were broken, that they were sinful, and they knew that they were sinners saved by grace. We've already said it. And if you want to grow that fellowship, if you want to grow in that fellowship, um, one of the first things we need, we need to remember Jesus Christ. If we want to build community and build fellowship in the church without Jesus, it doesn't make any sense. It'd kind of be like having a wedding without a bride and a groom. Can you imagine all the plans that go into a wedding? Some of you know firsthand what those plans are like. And, and you'd have the caterer and the flowers and the preacher and the flower girl and the ring bearer and all the bridesmaids and groomsmen. Everything there, this incredible band, but no bride and groom. It wouldn't make any sense. Jesus Christ is at the heart. He is at the center of our fellowship. He's the one that unites us. He's the one that brings us together. And secondly, all this talk about being devoted, some of you are thinking, 
I'm not devoted to God enough. I need to try harder. I need to do a better job. I need to do more stuff. Here's what I want to suggest to you. Repentance and growth and pursuit of what we see here doesn't necessarily mean that we add a bunch of stuff to the Christian to-do list in our life. We see that the apostles were devoted, these early Christians were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and all these things and how God was at work. It doesn't mean that we have to work really hard and figure out all these new things that we have to do. One of the very first things I think it means is for us to see and know how greatly God is devoted to us. We have to come to terms with His devotion to us. He came all the way down from heaven. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were the enemies of God, and He came to rescue us and to redeem us. He came to His own, the Scripture says, and His own received Him not. He left the glories of heaven to be born in a barn to a poor teenage girl to live a perfect life, to lay down his life for our sins. And he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says that there's nothing and no one who can take you out of my father's hand. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. If you're resting in Christ, if you're trusting in him, He is devoted to you in such an incredible way. It's something that we'll try to wrap our heads around the rest of this life and the rest of eternity. And that's the thing that can shape and change the things to which we are devoted. That can shape and change everything. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your devotion to us for your commitment to us. I pray that we would experience um, just a taste of the, the joy and the hope and the fellowship that these early Christians experienced. I pray that uh, you'd help us day by day uh, when we doubt that following you and being devoted to you is worth it. Lord, please cast aside those fears and help us to see that Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the way of life. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to receive an offering now um, to support the work of our church. If you're a visitor with us, feel no obligation to give. And we're also going to sing a a hymn together, a very familiar hymn. So I invite you to sing as we take up the offering. Thank you.